My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we have my father, Charles Redmond, who's a senior pastor of our church, in the studio with me today. And, Dad, I want to thank you for coming back today to uh, spend a little time with us. I'm glad to be back, John. <laughs> you know, my dad is celebrating, he and my mom, their 50th anniversary in the ministry. They've been married for over 53 years, but they've actually been in the ministry for 50 years. And so I thought it would be a good idea for us to just have a little conversation about some things he's learned during those 50 years. And in our recent programs, Dad, we've been talking about the call of God and how how we can learn to identify God's voice and know that when He is uh, when He is indeed calling us, we've talked about the fact that when God leads us, He typically just leads us one step at a time. And when we take a step of obedience, like you and Mom did 50 years ago, and you step out and do the thing that God has led you to do, that God always honors that and God always blesses that. And then. There, there, there's always blessings attached to our obedience. But what I thought would be interesting on today's program is if we could just talk for a few minutes about some lessons that you have learned in 50 years of ministry. And I know that's a broad question. It's hard to say, hey, can you sum up 50 years of ministry? But in, in looking back over all these years, is, is there maybe one thing that we could just start out with today that you would say, you know, in all these years, this is the greatest lesson I've ever learned. Well, John, I don't know if I would say something is the greatest lesson I've ever learned. I think that there have been uh, several major lessons. You learn many lessons. And let me quickly say, uh, when I hear you talking about me being in the ministry 50 years, it it, it makes me feel like I'm old, and I'm not old at all. I'm in the mid-prime of my ministry, I hope and pray. But, um, you know, there are a lot of lessons we all learn in life, and I'm still learning. Uh, and no one knows that better than I do. I certainly don't have the last word on anything and uh, I'm still trying to learn as much now as I was trying to learn uh, long years ago. But I, I think that uh, if someone said, mention maybe some great lesson or some major lesson that you've learned these 50 years, if I were talking to pastors, but I think it would be true no matter who I might be talking to, is the importance of having a vision from God. You know, we talk about our call. That's what we talked about last time. But as a pastor, and really in any realm of work, a person needs to know what is it that God would want me to do. And that is, to me, the most challenging thing about being a pastor. It's not like what I particularly think I want to do or what the member, this member, that member, you know, everybody has some idea. About, about what the church needs to do. But the bottom line is, what is the vision that God gives for us to do? And so that's a tremendous challenge. Well, you know, that's an interesting answer. And to be honest with you, that's not what I expected you to say. But, what did you expect me to say? Well, I, I don't know. I just had some other things going through my mind. But but the, when you when you mention the vision, I think about a verse in, the, in, in Proverbs that says, where there is no vision, mm -hmm. the people perish. Mm -hmm. 
And so it is so very important that we get a vision from God. Do you have a process that you go by uh, to get a vision from God? Well, you know, John, I listen to a lot of people, preachers particularly, that it seems like they have a direct line to God where they just phone in and God, you know, says this is the deal. And I, I wish I could find that line. I would. Well, I would, we have that line, but it's not always as clear. <laughs> it's not quite like all I can share is my own experience. Right. I'm not saying that God doesn't deal with people like that. I, I just know what God has done in my own life. The, the process is one that is not easy. It, it first of all, it takes time. Uh, it obviously it takes prayer. It takes thinking, and you know. In our previous program, we we talked about that verse in Psalm chapter 37 that says, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I I just—the same way God put in my heart about my call, God over the years has put in my heart uh, his vision about things. For example, uh, our Christian school, First Baptist Christian Academy— is 25 years old this year. This Mm. is our 25th anniversary. So now about a year and a half before the school started, God impressed upon my heart that our church should start a Christian school. And I shared that with the church. And at that time, the the church was just not, uh, they, they just, they didn't have that vision. But the seed was planted. And then about a year and a half, Later, I went back to the church, and that seed had grown in their heart, and that seed had really grown in my heart. So what I'm saying is God just has a way of clarifying to us in ways we can understand, this is what I want you to do. And so it's, it's, not, it's a hard thing, really, and I think it's a, a lacking thing. I really believe, and I'm certainly not judging, you know, I uh, hope I'm not other ministers, but, you know, just having an idea, I think the church should do this, the church should do that. You you have to, you need more than an idea. You need a vision from God. And then when you get that vision from God, you share it with the people. Hmm. And as a pastor, I've learned that you have to be patient and give the people an opportunity to think it through, to process it through. And so, in fairness to the people, you've been praying about and seeking a word from God about what God would have you to lead the church to do. But see, the church has not been doing that. That's the pastor's job. And then you share it with the people. You let the people process it, think it through. And, you know, I've learned this, John. God works on both ends. If God puts a vision in my heart, if it's really from God, at some point, he will put that same vision, not in every member's heart. I mean, John, there are members that if God called them on the telephone— and told them the vision, they, they would hang up, I fear. But, but the majority of the people in the church, if, if you'll give them time, they will finally, if it's from God, they will agree and you can agree. And then both the pastor and the congregation uh, are together on that vision. As we think about a vision, let's just stay with the school there. It's interesting that you brought that up because God has, has truly blessed our school. And it's doing real well. But back in those days, over 25 years ago, did that vision come to you all at once? Did it come to you in a quiet time? Did it come to you over a period of time? Or do you even remember? I mean, yeah. what, what sparked that vision? Well, 
over a period of time to answer the question. But, you know, I just felt like one day God put in my heart that our church was strong enough to have a Christian school. And that's not to be against public schools at all. I just felt that there was an opportunity to make a difference in a Christian school and that our church could do it. And I've met with several other churches in our area to try to see if they might be interested in joining with us together. And that did not materialize. And so, but I never, I never walked away from the vision and it just, I just felt that. And finally I asked the church to, uh, to vote on it. We voted on that issue. And, uh, you know, it was it was just obvious by then that that's what God wanted us to do, and boy, God has affirmed that over and over and over. I was with the school in a meet the parent meeting last night. There are almost six hundred students wow. in our school now. John, when we started, we had twenty three students. Wow. And just a little handful of teachers. And last night I saw all the teachers lined up across the front of the room. And I thought, oh, how God has has blessed the school. But, you know, people say this. In fact, it was said last night, Dr. Redmond started the school. No, they mean, I know what they mean when they say that. No, God started the school in heaven. And he put that on my heart. I was just the instrument that God used to do that. But, you know... Um, to me, it's it's not an easy thing to to get a vision from God because we're all human. We all have ideas. You know, I have a lot of great ideas. I've convinced myself, <laughs> but you know, I need more than a hunch when I'm going to do something. For example, relocating the church. Right now. You know, a pastor needs to have a word from God before he leaves the church to relocate. But once you get that word from God, it's just like you call. You you just know in your heart, this is what God is saying. And someone says, well, I don't know that yet. Well, then the vision is not ready to be activated. Once, once you know. John, uh, it, I can think of many examples like that. You know, someone says, well, how do you know? You, you know. That's you how you know. know. Well, what I hear you saying is that we need, first of all, a confidence and an assurance that that what we're thinking is from God. Absolutely. And, and that, that does come through prayer and through the process of time Absolutely. and seeking godly counsel and all those things. So we have to know for sure that, it, like you say, it's not a hunch or it's not just a good idea. This is, this is a word from God. But I also hear you saying that we need patience to wait on other people who are going to be involved yeah. in this to, to feel the same way. Yeah. This is a big mistake that a lot of younger ministers make, I really fear, is they, they don't give the people, give them the information, share with them what you feel God's put in your heart, but respect them to the point that you realize they too have a brain. And uh, if they're spiritual people, they will begin to pray about it and think about it. You know, we had, by the time we actually voted to relocate the church, and by the time we actually relocated the church, well, what, a couple of years was it right. went by? Right. And during those two years, uh, a lot of good things happened. You know, a lot of members that in the beginning said, hey, I'm, I'm leaving the church. I'm not going to be part of this. Well, two years later, they began to, many of them did say, well, you know, as I've thought about this, you know, this might not be really what I wanted to do, but probably this might just uh, be what God wants. But, but you, you just, you just give the people time and, 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 
you know, you just, in your heart, you just really want to know that this is what God has put in my heart because that's what will sustain you during the difficult times. Wow. And I love that about the patient. So there's a balance even on trying to to help communicate the vision that God has given. Just be patient and let God work in time. Another thing I'd like to ask you about today, I know in, in your own life, your devotional life, your quiet time is a very important part of your daily schedule and your daily routine. I guess my question would be, first of all, has it always been like that? Talk to us for a moment about what your quiet time consists of, what a quiet time is. Some people may be listening and saying, I'm not sure what you're talking about, a quiet time. But talk a little bit about that part of your life. Well, what you're talking about is a, a quiet time. You could call it whatever, but it's just a time that you have with uh, between where you read your Bible and you pray and you spend with God. I read recently that the average churchgoer, now, I don't know who the average churchgoer is. I would love to find out how they classify that person. But be that as it may, the average churchgoer spends four minutes a day uh, in quiet time with God. That is, reading their Bible and praying. Uh, I, I, I would, if you'd have asked me that, I would say that, you know, the average churchgoer, I doubt, spends four minutes a day. Uh, you know, they may be say a prayer at mealtime or whatever, but this whole matter of a quiet time with God. And, you know, listen, I've, I'm still learning in that area, but, but what I have learned is the necessity of having a time every day where you read your Bible and you pray. And for a minister, that needs to be separate from sermon preparation. I, I think that's very, very important. And those of us that preach a lot of sermons. Now, John, I used to preach three times on Sunday morning, the same sermon, Sunday night, a different sermon, Tuesday Bible lunch, a different sermon, and Wednesday night worship, a different sermon. That's a lot of That's different sermons. That's a lot of preparation right there. Yeah, it is. So, And what you did, you preached a lot of bad sermons because <laughs> you, you didn't have time. It's impossible to really prepare as much as should be when you're speaking that many times. Now, I don't do that today. Uh, you, of course, share in the preaching load here, and that is a great help. I don't have to get up as many. I, I get up two different sermons a week. That's better than getting up four different right. sermons a week. But that is a separate thing from your daily quiet time. And, you know, John, I've I've had so many different, you know, systems, and you, you tweak this and you tweak that. But whatever the system is, just there's no substitute in your quiet time, whatever it is, from reading the Word of God and then praying about what you've read. And, you know, at, at times I do better with my journal, prayer journal, than at other times. And, you know, I, I read different devotional books along with my quiet time. Now I'm using your 31 Timeless Truths and you're hiding God's Word in our hearts in addition to what I do. And, uh, you know, some days uh, the quiet time's better than other days. Right. And, uh, you know— I, I don't. I think we make a mistake when we make a quiet time a God. Hmm. Our quiet time's not God. God's God, and uh, you know, uh, some you know. Should you read through the Bible each year? Or should you read through the Bible three times each year? Uh, you know, I, I've done all those kind of things, and and uh, I, I'm not real sure. You know, I just think the Holy Spirit has to guide you in that. But but if you'll just have a time, that's a that'll be the hardest thing I think for most people, whether they're ministers or not. It is a it's a it's the most difficult thing 
to have and maintain a consistent daily quiet time. It really is. And I think the reason for that is, of course, the devil doesn't want us to pray. He doesn't want us to read the Bible. And I think he does everything within his power to prevent us from doing that. We just get so busy doing a lot of other things. What would you say you have noticed through the years when there have maybe been times in your life, I guess there have, there have been times in mine, when you've gotten so busy with your church responsibility that you have neglected maybe a day or two or a week or so in your quiet time, do you notice what that does to your to your spiritual life? Yeah. Well, you finally, spiritually, you, you burn out. There's nothing left to you. And I've sure been through those seasons many times. You know, that would be the great, the great mistake of my 50 years is that uh, t- too many times I have just let people and responsibilities and demands and or at least things I thought I had to do. I mean, they're just endless. And like you can one week have three or four funerals and you can have a lot of people in the hospital to see about. And I mean, you've got your family. You, you, you know, the we, we all have all these kind of things. And if you're not careful, uh, you just neglect your quiet time. That's kind of what goes. And that's why I believe people will be more effective having their quiet time first thing in the morning because we can say, well, when I get home tonight, I'll have a good quiet time. When we get home tonight, we're tired, and we, we won't be very consistent with that. Like I don't, I don't eat breakfast at nighttime. I eat breakfast in the morning. First thing. First, for, absolutely, to get me some nourishment, physical nourishment, and then I need spiritual nourishment. So the, the, the main thing, if I was talking to ministers that, that they need to do, but all of us need to do, is every day we need to have some time, even if it's just a brief time, maybe some days longer than others, but where we let our soul be fed with the Word of God. And, Dad, I guess what you're saying is when we when we have that quiet time and we read, read some verses or some passages in the Bible and pray, what we're really asking God to do is just to speak to our hearts, right? Absolutely. To give us wisdom for what we need to do. We share our burdens and our concerns with Him, and so I think that is so very important. You know, one of my favorite verses is in Luke. And uh, it's just, it's in fact, it's R.T. Kendall. It's one of the four verses he reads every day where it says, uh, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Every morning I pray that verse. Many mornings I read that verse. I want my eyes to see it. I like to look at that verse after I've showered and gotten dressed. It says, be dressed. I say, I'm dressed. <laughs> ready for service. I say, I'm ready to go. And then it says, keep your lamps burning. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's what that quiet time does for you. Like I can be, I can get a shower and get dressed, but if I don't keep my lamps burning, I'm going to do what I do in the flesh all day long. Now, Dad, you're 76 years old, and you've been pastoring these churches for a long time. But I would have to say that you have a freshness about you. You have energy. A lot of days I think you've got more energy and stamina than I do. Oh, I agree 100%. <laughs> well, I think it's true. But uh, what would you say? I mean, is, is, it, is it the quiet time that has kept you, that keeps you? Or, I mean, I'm sure that's part of it. What, what else keeps you so passionate? I mean, I think like retirement is, in, is the last thing on your mind at 76. Well, I... I, I, I poach four eggs every morning and eat egg wash, John. That's what energized me. You know, uh, you're asking me what keeps me passionate about. Well, I love what I'm doing, 
And uh, well, that's a, let me let me jump in there. When you say you love what you're doing, I, I remember when I was a kid, when Joel and I, my, my brother, when we were growing up, you used to would would say to us, and you would preach that. When you were a young man, somebody taught you how to know God's will. Could you share that today? Maybe that's kind of what has kept you passionate all these years. No, it said it said how to know how to what never work. How to never work. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, you've forgotten what I taught you as <laughs> a little boy. Yeah, it, well, a, a Methodist preacher named Pierce Harris, when I was, I wasn't a little boy. I was, a, I was out of high school in my young 20s, still single. And I would go down to the First Methodist Church many Sunday nights. That's in Atlanta? In Atlanta, Georgia. And Dr. Pierce Harris was the preacher. And I loved to hear him preach. Now, remember, I didn't know I was going to be a preacher. I just loved to hear preaching. And I would drive downtown to hear him preach. And one night, he said, I want to tell you how to never work. Now, I'm 20-something years old. I bet that got your attention. Well, I woke up on that one, I thought. (laughs) And I've got my pen. I thought, I want to write this down. And I like to go hear him because he had a lot of good thoughts. I got a little life lessons. And he said, here's what you do. Find something you like to do so much you would do it for nothing. Prepare yourself to do it. And one day, somebody will pay you to do it. And that stuck with me. Now, now, slow that down and say that again. Yeah. Well, Find something that you like to do so much that you would do it for nothing. And his illustration was, as a little boy, he would go out and play baseball in the field. And it would be hot and sweaty, and they'd play for hours until they lost the ball. Back then, John, I used to play a little baseball in the field. We didn't have all this little league. And you'd have a ball and bat. If you broke your bat or lost the ball, that was the end of that (laughs) deal. And he said, then later on, as a little boy, he trained himself so well, and he, by the way, became a professional baseball player before he became a preacher. He said somebody actually paid him to do what he did as a little boy for nothing. And I thought, you know, that makes sense. And I didn't know then about that. But the fact of the matter is, uh, I think the secret to passion is do something you like to do, and you'll be much more effective if you prepare yourself to do it. And the interesting thing is somebody will come along and pay you to do it. Wow. So you, I guess all these years, I mean— is, has there been a sense where even though you do work hard and, and all that, but do you almost kind of feel like when you wake up in the morning, you're not even working? You're just doing what you like to do. Well, I would say it's like that a lot. Now, there are some times <laughs> that I feel. Now, now, you're on another subject. There's a difference between the work of the church and church work. Now, church work, an atheist could do it. Really? Now, what do you what would you call church work? Well, just 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 the routine things you have to do. I mean, like a a person could could be a receptionist. They could be a Christian or not a Christian. Now, we would not want a non Christian receptionist right. in our church. But you're just saying. But to, I mean, if, anybody. If you just view that as a job to answer the phone, it's just a job. You answer the phone. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, there are many things in church work that just have to be done. I mean, you have to clean the buildings. You have to fix the buildings. That's just church work. And there's a lot of stuff that's just church work. But the work of the church, now that's a whole different deal. And that, that, that's what God put the church in the world to do. And so whether you're the receptionist or whether you're the pastor, whether you're the music minister, you may be doing some of the same type things that, that somebody who's not even saved could do, but that's when the church work becomes the work of the church, that's right? That's exactly because right. you see those things as an opportunity. And that's what keeps you passionate about what you're doing. 
You know, like if you go to the hospital and say, okay, I have to make a hospital visit. Well, you won't have much passion with that. Hmm. But if you go to the hospital and make a hospital visit saying, you know what, I'm going to go read a Bible verse and pray and encourage this person, you'll be very passionate about that visit. That is a difference. So you're saying your mindset makes all the difference because a lot of the stuff, it's the same It's the same stuff. It's just how you approach that. Right. And a lot of people, many people in their work, it's just a job. Well, in God's work, it's not just a job. You're dealing with souls, and we have an opportunity to bless them and help them encourage them, and uh, that will keep you passionate. Wow. Wow. It's about our mindset. Well, listen, we're going to have to stop, Dad, there for today. We just keep running out of time on these programs. But thank you for joining us again today in the studio. And for those of you who have listened today, thank you. I hope that what we've said today has been of some help to you. I hope you'll have a great week. I encourage you to visit our website at peacebybelieving.org. You're going to find some helpful resources, some booklets that you can read, and I pray that'll be a blessing to you. We look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for listening.